Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Down the blind, Andrew John. Inside for Elba. Elba will score. Elba will score. Newcastle. G'day guys, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, we had some breaking news just after we dropped our last podcast that of course, Anthony Milford, he has officially signed with the South Sydney Rabbitohs. He will be joining them for season 2022 and i got to tell you, I don't mind this one. I, I've spoken quite often about guys like Milford. I said about Bryce Cartwright as well. When you sign a guy that's at their absolute pits, they are done at their current club, it is not working, they're not playing the football that you know they can play, all of a sudden their backs are against the wall. I think for Anthony Milford, this is probably his last opportunity to really show he wants to be in the NRL. There's been a lot of questions around Milf and whether he wants to be here, whether he really wants to have an impact in rugby league. Him arriving down at South Sydney, this might be the complete change of environment that he really needs. I like this punt by the South Sydney Rabbitohs. I really do. Now, the worrying thing about this is next year with Adam Reynolds leaving, obviously there's no real halfback there. There's no guy that can direct them around the park. And I think we undervalue how much Adam Reynolds means to this team right now. But I'll tell you what, if you can get this fella, Anthony Milford, to, I don't know, 70% of what he needs to be, it really could be anything in the modern game and the way that their pack goes forward. Obviously, you've got Wayne Bennett leaving as well. So there's going to be a lot of changes here. And this puts a heap of pressure on a guy like Cody Walker. If they don't find someone to wear the seven jerseys, obviously a few guys on the market. Uh, you could be looking at guys like Luke Brooks, Mitch Pierce, these sort of fellows that I think would be pretty handy in this side. Um, it's going to be tough on Cody Walker. Now, we've heard him over the last 24, 48 hours talk about how if they were to sign an Anthony Milford, he would happily change his game and take more control of the side, which, you know what, I, I would never doubt Cody Walker because he's a freakish footballer. He's got instincts like very few in our game. But for me, when I look at Cody Walker, I don't want him focusing on organization, on getting to certain parts of the field. I just want Cody Walker to be just zoning across the defense, just wait until he sees an opportunity, wait until he sees a tired defender, someone out of place, till he sees his team win a tackle, and he just starts to push up the middle. 
I understand that if they need someone to step into halfback, there is no doubt about it. Cody Walker is probably the guy to do it in their current squad. That's if they can't get a Blake Taff or one of these guys. Uh, they got um, the, the the young fellow from the Matto Tigers there as well. His name escapes me at the moment. But there are there are a couple of young guys, but it's a lot of pressure on a young head to step in after Adam Reynolds. I mean, we, we look at the Roosters. They had Kyle Flanning, and dare I say that Kyle Flanning has more ability as a halfback than any of the young guys in the South Sydney Rabbitohs system at the moment. And stepping into Cooper Cronk's system, it proved to be extremely difficult. I think it'll be very similar for a young guy at South Sydney stepping into the boots of Adam Reynolds. And I, I think what will end up happening here is that Cody Walker will play seven. We know that Milford isn't that type of footballer. And we know that the problem with Milford for years has been that he hasn't had that sort of footballer next to him. I mean, you don't have to know too much about rugby league to just look at Anthony Milford and know that when he has a genuine seven next to him, i.e. Ben Hunt, who was unreal when he was at the Brisbane Broncos, he plays his best football. And I know we bag Milford, we give him shit and all this. He doesn't want to be there. He's lazy, he's fat. If I can, you, you hear it all. When this guy's at his peak, he's one of the premier players in our game. When he is playing at the peak of his powers, he is a top 10 player in our game, and there is no questioning that. I think people forget in 2015, he was three and a half seconds away from a premiership and a Clive Churchill medal, and there's no question about it. There is no question about it. If they didn't score that play on the last tackle, where Kyle Felt scores in the corner off some Michael Morgan brilliance, we're not even talking about Thurston as a Clive Churchill medalist. Yeah, it's not even we're, we're not even discussing whether he should have been there or not. And it is Milford that would have got it 100%. It's crazy how just those three or four seconds have affected his career unbelievably because it's those three or four seconds that lead to Ben Hunt dropping the ball in extra time. It's those three or four seconds that lead to Jonathan Thurston kicking the field goal. It's those three or four seconds that sort of force the breakdown in the relationship between Wayne Bennett and the Brisbane Broncos as they missed that one and it started to unfold. It's those three or four seconds that, in my opinion, ultimately affected Ben Hunt's career and forced him to leave, which left Milford without the coach that got the very best out of him and the halfback that got the very best out of him. Honestly, I I think people undervalue how much those three or four seconds from Michael Morgan and Kyle Feld have affected the Brisbane Broncos franchise moving forward and are probably going to affect this franchise for a couple more years, realistically. I think the relationship breakdown in so many aspects there has been so costly of that play and I think it's affected Milford greatly. He's been the guy that has been left at the Broncos. All these other sort of factors have left and have gone on elsewhere. Milford, he's been left at the Broncos without a genuine seven. We saw him with Cody Nicarima for a long time and Dare I say that the Broncos weren't able to get the best out of Nicarima? I think if you were to put Milford with Nicarima that we see now, I think he's developed his game unbelievably at the New Zealand Warriors. Could be a different story, but he wasn't at that part in his career yet. He wasn't ready to be that sort of guy yet. Right now, I think Milford, if you can tap into what he's got and you can hand the keys to someone else and just let Milford play eyes up, this could be fantastic for South Sydney. If they do happen to find another seven, I mean, if you play him in Jersey 14, it could be anything. Personally... If you can convince Benji to go around for another season and you can play Benji Marshall at seven and use Anthony Milford as a 14 to come on the field, roam around, do whatever he wants, this is where if you were to put a proper preseason into Milford, you could bring some real variety to your attack by having Milf potentially playing at fullback and move Latrell Mitchell out to left center. You could potentially move these guys around completely. You could have Milf come on, play in the front line, play 5A, move Cody Walker to fullback, move Latrell to left center. All of a sudden, you look at that left edge, That's going to be Milford, Cody Walker, Latrell Mitchell, Alex Johnson. There is not going to be another left edge in rugby league that can compete with that outside of the Melbourne Storm. Probably the Penrith Panthers would be right up there. But, mate, just ability-wise, if you went Milford at his best, 
You went Cody Walker. You got Kulamantangi there, who's an absolute monster, young, but is a monster. Latrell Mitchell, Alex Johnson. That could be anything. The options that this allows South Sydney to play with, if they get the very best out of Anthony Milford, it could be anything. The halfback jersey is a worry for me. If Benji Marshall decides to stay on for another year, that makes a big difference. That makes a huge difference to this side. And personally, I think Milford in the 14 would be unbelievable. I think it would take so much pressure off him. It would allow him to come into games with tired bodies and just wreak havoc like he used to. The old days when he was at the Canberra Raiders, he was one of the best 14s in the game. Now, he was a teenager then. He had a completely different body to what he had now everything's changed and I understand that but I think this guy he has a lot more to offer a great club like South Sydney God knows what they could get out of this guy I think this is a real exciting one and I I would imagine it's a one-year contract no one else really wants him I think South have got this contract for absolute peanuts off Anthony Milford and I would say mate they are getting huge value in this it's the same as the Bryce Carwright one that I spoke about last year I had everyone message me say oh Bryce Carwright why would they sign him he's shit I said mate they're signing him for nothing they're signing him for peanuts. Let's say, worst case scenario, he plays the worst football of all time. What do they lose? 200K out of their salary cap? I mean, it's really not that much. You look at Anthony Milford now, I don't know what the exact figure is. I imagine it's not a heap, though. Yeah, he's a guy that no one wants at the moment. If South Sydney can get the very best out of him, he knows that everyone will want him all of a sudden. It boosts his value unbelievably. Right now, South Sydney, they're either throwing away a couple of hundred grand out of their salary cap, which is really doesn't hold that much meaning to them, or they're able to get one of the premier players in their game playing confident, eyes up, front foot football like the South Sydney Rabbitohs play. This could be absolutely anything for them. I'm really excited to see Milford in a new system. I know we bag him. I know we give him shit. This kid can play. I have no doubt about it that he can play. He has shown us on numerous occasions that he can play. I love this roll of the dice by South Sydney. Same as I love the roll of the dice that the Parramatta Eels took on Bryce Cartwright. I always back clubs that are willing to say, yep, I'll give you a shot. I think we can get the very best out of you. South Sydney, they are definitely one of those clubs. It's a changing system. Wayne Bennett's leaving. Adam Reynolds is going. It's going to be a different club next year, no doubt about it. But if they can get the best out of Milf, it could be anything. Big pressure on Cody Walker if Benji Marshall doesn't play on. But this sort of tells me that there's a good chance Benji does play on, I reckon. I reckon there's a really good chance that Benji plays next year. I think he could play a premier role in really handing over the keys to Cody Walker. He's probably got another two, maybe three more seasons of NRL left in him, and he could be the guy to wear the seven. Milford could be the guy to wear six. They have got a couple of options. They've got young guys coming through, like I mentioned before. You've got Dargan still there, Taft, a couple of other guys. Hawkins as well. They have options. And I like the gamble they've taken for a couple of hundred thousand dollars, which is not a heap out of your salary cap for what you could get out of this. This is a punt that I think is worth taking. I hope for the sake of rugby league and for Anthony Milford, we see him back to his best. If we see him back to 70% of his best, as I said, this is a huge win for the NRL, let alone the South Sydney Rabbitohs. The Cronulla Sharks signing Dale Finucane. Now, a very fantastic signing for them. Uh, sort of guy that's come out of the Melbourne Storm. He's been the captain now for, I think he's captain this year. Um, obviously, since Cameron Smith retired. A guy that Craig Bellamy did not want to let go. But in the reality is for Dale, I'm sure he's taken unders for a couple of years to try and win premierships in Melbourne. He has done that. He's also played in grand finals before arriving at the Melbourne Storm for the Canterbury Bulldogs as well. So the experience uh, that he brings to any system is unbelievable. Uh, and I, I think the greatest credit to him is only uh, you know two weeks ago, he was brought into game three in State of Origin and was automatically made the vice captain. So Freddie, he obviously values what he brings. Uh, and Craig Fitzgibbon, he's obviously values what he brings as well. So uh, 
Uh, obviously, he's part of that New South Wales system and the coach of Cronulla for next year. So a fantastic signing. And um, it, it finishes off a trio of signings for the Cronulla Sharks heading into next year, headlined by Nico Hines, who they signed a couple of weeks ago. He's probably been the second or third form fullback in our competition over the last eight weeks or so. Obviously, Pappy has returned now. Uh, I still think Nico will hold on to that jersey for a couple of weeks, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, we'll see how it plays out, though. But no doubt, in the time that he has been playing fullback, he's been one of the form players in this competition. He's been unbelievable, Nico Hines. So another great signing for the Cronulla Sharks. And I think people forget, at the start of the year, they signed Cam McInnes. Now, uh, I think we we're all sort of expecting Cam McInnes to make the move this season. Um, but a couple of days after, he, of course, did his ACL. So, obviously, you're getting Cam McInnes post-ACL, but he's one of the best defensive players in our game. I do worry, and I've said this before, and I'm not backing down from it anytime soon, that I think the game has moved away from Cam McInnes a little bit. Uh, for me, I look at Cam McInnes, and I look at a guy that's played hooker for the last few years, and I just, I just have never thought he's had that upside in attack. I don't think he has the vision. I don't think he has the passing game. I don't think he has the kicking game either. But when you're the best defensive player in the competition, you can get away with that because you bring so much in defense. But when I look at the game over the last 18 months, it has changed a lot. Um, and I think you need a hooker who has good ruck recognition. For me, Cam McInnes doesn't have that. For me also, Cam McInnes coming off an ACL, he's probably going to be a little bit slower than he ever has been realistically. And that's nothing against Cam McInnes. That's just the reality of coming off an ACL injury. Yeah. So I do feel a little bit sorry for him. I know that called for a long time for him to play in Jersey 13 for the Dragons and Ben Hunt to play 9. You saw them make that move last year. Ben Hunt absolutely brained it. The Dragons started to win games. They then moved him back to halfback. Uh, didn't quite go as well then. So I think the proof is in the pudding there that you need a hooker that has ruck recognition that plays with eyes up. That, that's just in my opinion. And I don't think Cam McInnes is that guy. I also don't think he has the skill set to play 13, though. I don't think he has the awareness to play 13. I don't think he has the timing. I haven't seen it so far in his career. When he did play 13 for the Dragons, he was just a really good defender who just did his hit-ups. There wasn't really much more to his game. So it is something that worries me. And the reason why it worries me is because heading to the Cronulla Sharks next year is Craig Fitzgibbon to be the head coach, yeah, which is a fantastic signing. We've had Fitzy on the podcast. I'm a huge fan of him, but I think we've also got to look at the reality of Craig Fitzgibbon. Now, he has been in this rooster system since he was 20 years old. Uh, he arrived there in, what, 2001? Maybe the... No, the year 2000, he arrived there. Of course, he played in the grand final with the Dragons in 99. He arrived at the Roosters in 2000. Now, he hasn't left since. Yeah, it's now 2021. So you think about the years that Craig Fitzgibbon has been either playing there, playing alongside Freddie and whatnot, or coaching there. I mean, you look at the last few years, especially when he's done the vast majority of his hands-on assistant coaching, there's been guys like Cooper Cronk in this system that have built this system and built all the structures. There's been guys like Luke Keery, some of the best ball players in the game, some of the best tempo-controlling guys in our game as well. Outside of that, you've also got Victor Radley, who you all know how highly I've spoken of him over the last few years. And for me, he's the best ball playing lock forward in our game. He's essentially an extra halfback, which has been massive for the Sydney Roosters, along with getting a kid like Sam Walker, who's just got all the ability in the world. And this year, they've been able to build their game around him. And Craig Fitzgibbon, he's got the luxury of being able to watch how Trent Robinson goes about that over the last few years. But, I mean, he's going to arrive at the Cronulla Sharks now without a halfback. And this is the biggest issue I have with the Sharks next year. I posted on my Instagram last night saying, are they going to make the eight? Everyone went, definitely, yes, they have to for sure. They don't have a seven. They literally don't have a halfback. This is a big issue for me. They also don't have a ball playing lock forward. So you've got Craig Fitzgibbon 
who's coming from the close-to-perfect system for the last 20 years of his life, especially the last few years of his coaching career, the only guys he's worked with has been Cooper Cronk at halfback, which I imagine that is like driving a Ferrari. I mean, the coach could not show up and Cooper Cronk could probably coach you to a premiership whilst playing halfback realistically. It just makes all the structures a lot easier. For me, I'm not sure if Craig Fitzgibbon is prepared to walk into a system without a halfback. Now, even when you lost Cooper Cronk, I spoke about it for ages. You had Victor Radley. I spoke about it last year when Victor Radley went down from, with injury that the Roosters weren't going to win this competition, and they didn't get anywhere near it. Yeah, after winning two in a row, they ran out of gas. I understand that, but you could see through the center third, they just weren't winning it. They weren't getting to the right spots because they were missing Victor Radley. Now, when Victor Radley went down, I mean, you're all telling me that Kyle Flanagan was a gun. He was going to be the future of the Roosters. He was going to do this. He was going to do that. All of a sudden, Radley goes, and Kyle Flanagan is shit. He can't play football. He needs to go. Yeah, it sort of coincides with having a really good ball-playing lock forward. It matters in the modern game. Fitzgibbon's coming to a new system with a coach that we don't understand why they sacked him in the first place. With with um, Sean Johnson, one of the best halfbacks in the world, he's now left. And here we are putting together this team of really good culture guys. Kim McInnes, Dale Finucane. I mean, as far as leadership goes in this club, it's not going to get much better than that. And I applaud them for that 100%. They are fantastic guys to go out and get to lead your club around. They will do a brilliant job as leaders, I have no doubt about it. But structure-wise and positional-wise, I do worry about this team next year. They're not going to have that 13. They're also not going to have a halfback. For me, it spells trouble. You'll have Nico Hines at six. And look, I hope Nico Hines does really well. But I mean, we've also got to accept that we've uh, the only time we've seen Nico Hines is in a system that is absolutely braining it, and he is on the end of one of the best forward packs and some of the best halves in our game with some of the best strike weapons outside him in games that they're winning 40-0. I mean, we haven't seen Nico Hines in any other situation. In fact, the only other situation we have seen Nico Hines before is when he was playing Toyota Cup for Manly at 5-8, and they decided, no, we're good, we don't need him, and they released him. Now, I know there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. There's a lot more to that. I get it, but... I mean, we haven't seen Nico Hines outside of the perfect system. That's what worries me. We haven't seen Craig Fitzgibbon outside of the perfect system. Yeah, and look, I think that as good as Dale Finucane is, I think he's going to be brilliant. I think the forward pack's great. I think Cam McInnes is going to be really good defensively. I mean, you still need the halves to put the icing on the cake. I look at the Cronulla Sharks and I go, geez, it's a great cake. They've got a fantastic cake, but who's going to be the icing on it? Who's going to deliver the big plays? I mean, if, if I said to you right now, tell me who's got the best kicking game at the Cronulla Sharks next year? Who are we going for? Are we saying Nico Hines? Are we saying Matty Moyland? Are we going Connor Tracy? Are we going Braden Trindle? Two fringe first grade guys? I mean, Connor Tracy's been playing wing for the last year for them, apparently. Trindle, he's starting to come into his own. I really like him, and I've picked my best 17 for the Cronulla Sharks next year, and I've got him at halfback, and I know that a lot of people don't, but, I mean, you need a seven out there. You need someone who can kick at the very least. Blake Braley isn't really that guy either. Cam McInnes doesn't have a kicking game. I mean... There's, there's a lot of things that are popping up here. Will Kennedy isn't the sort of guy that can jump in and, and deliver your kicking game either. There's a lot of problems with the team that they're building. And maybe they have got plans to bring in a Luke Brooks or someone like that. I hope they do because I think they need a halfback. As I said, they've built the structure of this team really well. But in your key positions, you are lacking. You definitely are lacking. And I hope that Cam McInnes is under the understanding that he is going to be playing lock there. Because for me, if they play him at hooker, I think it's a mistake. You've got a really good running nine. You're going to have a really big forward pack. You need a guy that's going to play eyes up like Blake Braley. I think it's going to be a step backwards to have Cam McInnes. I think right now in the modern game, and this is nothing against Cam McInnes, it's just the reality of the situation. If you took Cam McInnes playing his absolute best football, I still don't think he'd be that great in the modern game. 
especially in attack. I think in defense, he'd be unreal. I have no doubt about that. I get that 100%. I back it in completely. But in attack, I think he's going to let you down a little bit. For me, I would want Blake Braley there. And as I said, he's a fantastic defender, Cam McKinnis. So I want him on the field. So I can probably sacrifice not having a ball playing 13 if I can have the best defensive 13 in the competition there. But then I need a halfback. I need someone that can lead the troops around. Cam McInnes is going to say the right things. He's going to do the right things, as is Dale Finucane. But you need someone to put the icing on the cake in the seven jersey to be able to deliver something. You need someone to create space for Nico Hines. He's not going to be an organizing sort of guy. That's not who Nico Hines is. And if you're buying him for that purpose, why are you buying Nico Hines? Why are you buying Nico Hines to serve that purpose? It's not what he does best seems a little bit backwards to me at the moment. I love the people they've brought to the club. I don't so much love the positionals, uh, the positional problems they're going to have to sort out. It just doesn't quite make sense to me at the moment. And look, as I said, I have got my starting 17 for the Cronulla Sharks for next year. And look, it's an impressive 17, no doubt about it. But there are glaring problems in the halves for me. And I think I might have a couple of solutions for you that I think Craig Fitzgibbon will consider. For me, the fullback has to be Will Kennedy. Uh, I, I look at the way he's been playing this year. I don't think you can possibly take that jersey off him. Personally, I think it's really wild to buy Nico Hines and not play him at fullback. I know he says he's a 5'8". I get it. I, I think the proof is in the pudding last few weeks. He's a better fullback. I think in the modern game, he's a better fullback than what he is 5'8". Personally, happy to be proven wrong. More than happy to be proven wrong there. But if I've got a guy like Nico Hines, I want him off two ball. Yeah, I don't want him at first receiver standing on one edge. That's not where I want Nico Hines. I know he can play that role. I've seen him do it for Melbourne. But, geez, he's so much more destructive off a two ball. He's so much more destruct- destructive, a little bit wider, outside of some shape. That's in my opinion. But, Will Kennedy, I don't think you can take that jersey of him. He's fullback for me. The two wingers, they pick themselves. Katoa, Mulatalo, both have been unreal. Both have been great the last 18 months or so. I'm sure they will do a job again next year. Your centers, Jesse Ramian picks himself, and Connor Tracy has to be in this team somewhere. I think he'd be the perfect 14, but I don't think they have a center that can take this jersey off Connor Tracy. So I think he's in the centers with Jesse Ramian. They'll be a really strong combo. The back five, I really like him, to be honest with you. I think it's a really good back five for the Cronulla Sharks. Then we get into the halves. Assuming that Nico Hines has to be the 5'8", you cannot possibly leave Nico Hines out of this side. I don't think you can pick Will Kennedy anywhere else. So I think Kennedy will be at 1. I think Nico Hines has to be at 6, which leaves my halfback spot. Now, there's been talk about a Matt Moylan-Nico Hines combo. You guys all know that I'm the number one ticket holder to the Matty Moylan show. He cannot be the halfback. He cannot be the halfback. That is just ridiculous. That is not... You've essentially got two fullbacks playing in the halves, yeah? And yeah, Melbourne do it. You're sweet. Melbourne, they're the exception, not the example. Don't throw Melbourne at me. Oh, but they do it. You're not Melbourne. No one else is Melbourne. Melbourne are Melbourne. You're the Cronulla Sharks. You're not the Melbourne Storm, yeah? And that's not being disrespectful. Once again, that's just being realistic, yeah? You need to have a genuine seven in this team. In my opinion, the two guys I would be looking at is one is Trindle. The other one is a guy that hasn't played first grade yet. Last name's Metcalf, a really talented little footballer. I think he's more of sort of an outside, like a 5'8 or a fullback potentially, but I know that he can play halfback. He's a kid that I would be willing to give this a shot at. I know he's got a good little kicking game as well, so that's something that stands out for me. At the moment, Braden Trindle, he's definitely got his foot in the door though, no doubt about it. The thing about Metcalf is that there is no New South Wales Cup this year. So he's not actually playing football at the moment, which really hinders everything. It, it doesn't allow Craig Fitzgibbon to see him play rugby league. It doesn't allow him to play rugby league for the next year or so. So that one is a real stinger. But we've seen him in the trials and what he can do. I think he's definitely a guy to consider. So for me, 
Trindle's probably my first choice, but I'll tell you what, Metcalf, he's going to be a big smoky to wear that seven jersey. For me, personally, I can't do Moylan and Hines. It just makes no sense to me whatsoever. But I'll come back to that situation in a second. Now, in the forward pack, for me, up front, I've got Aiden Tolman if he re-signs, which I believe he will from what I've gathered. At the moment, I've got Aiden Tolman there, and then I've got Dale Finucane starting up front. Now, Dale has quite often worn jersey 13 for the Melbourne Storm. I just think you need to have Cam McInnes in this team somewhere. I don't think he's a nine, so he has to wear 13. For me, so my, my my middle three will be Tolman, Finucane, and of course Cam McInnes in jersey thirteen. I'll have Blake Braley at nine. I think he's a really talented kid with a big future, and I think he suits the modern game as well. So Braley, he wears the nine for me in the second row. Really interesting, and this is going to be another test for Fitzgibbon moving forward. It is Wade Graham. What on earth is happening with Wade? Are we going to see him again, or is it potentially another Boyd Cordner situation? Personally. I think we're probably leaning to another Boyd Cordner situation, which kills me to say, but I think it is the reality of the situation, unfortunately. And the other side of this, I just mentioned before, who's got the best kicking game at the Sharks next year? I mean, it's Wade Graham if he is fit. So that helps out on the left edge. Having a left footer playing down on that edge is massive. We've seen how big it's been for the Cronulla Sharks over the last few years. I have no doubt that Wade he would take a bigger role next year if they didn't have a seven. He would really control that edge. But I'm not sure if we're going to see him again. I think there's a really good chance that unfortunately we've seen Wade Graham's last football. I hope I'm wrong. And if I am wrong, he's the first guy I pick on that left edge. Let's say, just for the hypothetical of this situation, that Wade Graham doesn't come back next year. Let's say, worst case scenario, we don't see Wade O back next year. I think on that left edge, I would have Talakai. Uh, we saw him play there yesterday afternoon. He was very strong. He's been very quiet the last few weeks. But I just think if you can get the best out of Sifa, this is where you want him. You want him out on an edge. He can be so destructive there. So for me, I'd have him on the left edge. I go over to the right edge. comes down to two names here. The guy that played there yesterday, Britton Nakora, been very, very talented for a long time. His big advantage is he's always been able to run off Sean Johnson, who's one of the best at putting those guys through holes. He's not going to have him anymore, so that's going to be interesting. The other guy is Ty Wilton, who is reliable as all hell and is a d- defensive little juggernaut. So it's one of those two, Ty Wilton or Nakora on the right, and then Wade Graham or Talakai on the left. I'm not sure which way you're going to go there or who you're going to pick there. The guys that don't get picked, they'll be on the bench for me. For me, if Wade Graham is in the team, he has to start. There's no way you'd put him on the bench. So it's either Talaka on the left edge or he's on the bench. Or you have Nakora or Wilton starting the other on the bench. Jersey 14 for me it would be Matt Moylan. If it's not Moiser, I would have Metcalf or Trindle there, depending on which one you don't start. So essentially you've got three guys fitting into two jerseys there. Trindle, Metcalf, Moylan to wear the 7 jersey and to wear the 14 jersey. However you want to work those three. Personally, I think Moylan's best spot in this team is jersey 14. I don't see him as a 7. Uh, depends how they want to play, but I think it's a big punt going in with him at 7 and with a 13 that can't really ball play either. So I would have Moylan or Metcalf in jersey 14. Jersey 15 for me, would come down to a few guys. It would depend who was playing where out of Talakai, Nakora, Tyg Wilton, also Royce Hunt's the other one, but he's probably the, the the fourth choice there. I think that whoever you're going to have in 15, if Wade Graham's there, I think you have, if Wade Graham's in, on the edge, I think you have Talakai there. And then if Talakai is on the edge and Wade Graham's not there, I think then it comes down to Nakora or Tyg Wilton. Whichever one starts, stays there. The other one will be on the bench in Jersey 15. Jersey 16 for me, I've got Hamlin Uwele. I've got Royce Hunt's there, name in brackets once again. I think he'll be 18th man in their best side. But Hamlin Uwele, I think he has to be Jersey 16. 16 there. Jersey 17, and unfortunately, he's sort of been downgraded a little bit. I think he's been unbelievable this year as Toby Rudolph. And look, 
I know what people are thinking. Oh, Toby Rudolph plays 13. He's not a ball player. They've been fine. They've got Sean Johnson. They've got Sean Johnson right now. It's going to be very interesting to see them over the next few weeks. Once Sean Johnson leaves with his hamstring injury, how the Cronulla Sharks are going to work. I think it's going to be a really good test. And look, I think that Craig Fitzgibbon, there might be a little silver lining to this Sean Johnson injury. It's going to give a lot of guys an opportunity to step up into the halves. You might see a Metcalf come into this team now. You might see Connor Tracy move around. He's another guy that I think should be considered in the halves. He's another guy that if they can find another center, they need to be considering Connor Tracy wearing the seven jersey next year because I think he would do a brilliant job. But Toby Rudolph, he's the guy in jersey 17 for me. Um, I just think he has to be in the team. I think he's been one of their best players. I feel bad bringing him back to the bench. But as I said at the start of this year, and I think it's evident now, the writing's on the wall in our game. Being on the bench, it's not a punishment anymore. It's not a downgrade anymore. You, you, it's just how you play the game. Gameplay is more important than it ever has been, and you need to have guys on the bench that you can bring in after the, th- the first 30 minutes, and there's no drop-off. You want your, your bench front rowers to be as talented, as strong, as big a motor as your starting front rowers, realistically, because that middle 30 minutes, that's massive. That is going to be a huge 30 minutes of that game, and you need big bodies on there. I think Hamlin ULA and I think Toby Rudolph will do a sensational job. I think Royce Hunt, once he's fit, he will push both of those guys as well. That's my Cronulla Sharks team heading into season 2022 and I think it's a really strong side but as I said the halfback jersey it's an issue for me. I think you need a good seven to get the best out of Nico Hines maybe I'm wrong about Nico Hines but we haven't seen him outside of essentially the perfect system. I was going to say the perfect storm but that would have been a disgraceful pun. The perfect system down in Melbourne I want to see him in a different system like this Sharks. I want to see him in a system without a halfback to see if he's able to achieve what he's done at the Melbourne Storm. You look at the way that Melbourne win games of footy. They're, they are just terrifying. They win by 40 points. They win by 50 points. The Cronulla Sharks, they don't do that all too often. I mean, they scored 40-odd against the Canterbury Bulldogs yesterday. They conceded almost 30 points as well, yeah. It's going to be a very different sort of... It's going to be very different sorts of games of football for Nico Hines. I think it's going to be a massive test for him. I think Craig Fitzgibbon, he's done really well recruitment-wise. I think he's got a good bunch of leaders. I think that regardless of how they go at seven, they will be a little bit unorthodox, but that's always been the Sharkies. I think that they've got enough really good leaders. If Tolman stays there, that's massive. They're going to have, obviously, Finnecane. They're going to have McInnes. I think these guys are fantastic leaders. They are truly leaders and I think they will do a really good job and even if they're not the most orthodox team I think they'll be there and thereabouts at the top eight. I've tipped them the last two or three years to make the top eight to be a smoky. They've made it every single year. I think yesterday afternoon they cracked into the top eight as well. Uh, a couple of other teams starting to fall over around them but that's the reality of the NRL. No Sean Johnson over the next few weeks is going to be a big test. A really good opportunity for Craig Fitzgibbon to see this team without Sean Johnson and see who's willing to put their hand up. Is it a Trindle? Is it a Connor Tracy? Do we see a Matt Moylan come back over the next few weeks and show us the football that he was once playing at the Penrith Panthers? Is it a Metcalf? Does he get an opportunity here and start to take it on? Really excited to see what happens over the next few weeks. It's going to be thrilling. Really excited for Craig Fitzgibbon. He's got a fantastic squad, but he has still got some challenges ahead of him. But let's be honest here, what coach doesn't? Uh, the NRL this year, mate, uh, I guess a lot of people have described it as a two-horse race the last few months. Uh, then all of a sudden, Turbo, he returned from injury. He's been on fire. He might even get a feature in your team today. We'll talk about him soon. But how do you see it playing out in the back end? Um, I've got I've got two theories on this. So one of them is, so I'll go back on 2009, 2012. The best players were Jared Hayne and Ben Barber. I think Tommy Turbo is putting together one one of those types of seasons when you relate them back to a year. So, you know, we get Benji 05, Jared Hayne 09. Benny Barber, it's going to be Tommy Turbo 21. And um, that's just how it is. 
And in both those years, when when that player was playing at such a high caliber, they went all the way to the final and they played Melbourne in the final. And Melbourne beat them both times. So I do like that analogy. I had an, I've got another one in my mind where you think of uh, Penrith Panthers, 1990, who'd they play? Canberra Raiders. And I remember my guy telling a story. He goes, when we played the Canberra Raiders the first time, we were warming up and I look across the field and they just look bigger and stronger than everyone else. Obviously had Mal and, and apparently the boys on the Canberra Milk and all that sort of stuff. But the second year, 1991, they come back and that time when they looked across the field, they didn't seem as opposing or as, as scared as what they were. So those are my two analogies. I think it's a three-horse race. I think South leaked, leaked too many points. Um, if you leak those types of points against uh, Melbourne or Penrith, you're going to get caught. Um, but I see those two scenarios happen. It's either a repeat and Penrith play Melbourne, and it's very similar to the 1991 sort of vibe. And then um, the other way is uh, Manly and Melbourne as well. And that, those teams got history as well. So they've been sort of the sort of the rivalry for a long time. So I see that sort of happening. I start thinking about weird stuff as well. Had another one where Penrith were 91 champions. In my mind, I thought Ivan had um, played in the 2001 grand final, but he was actually 2002. <laughs> 2002, yeah. yeah. And then, and then like I, I started rambling across these things and then I was like, oh, the Warriors made 2011 grand final. So every, every 10 years, Ivan's <laughs> making a grand final. So I go through all these fucking random scenarios. Um, but I just see that Manly one playing up for some reason. I don't know. I, like, it's a superstar league right now. You, you pull Tommy Turbo away, Manly scrape, scrape into a win. You pull Nathan Cleary out, Penrith fucking struggling against, like, you know what I mean? They scrape into a win. You pull Munster out. You got, you got Melbourne flat out trying to beat the Cowboys. So I, I like superstar leagues. I reference basketball a lot, and you need superstars in there. Um, but I think it's never been more obvious than it is right now. I think uh, just to play Rain Man with you for a couple of seconds, on top of the uh, Hano 9, Barber 12, if you look back to 2017, for me, the two best players in the comp by a country mile were Tao Malolo and Michael Morgan, also yeah. played the Melbourne Storm in that grand final. And, I mean, I think they won that one by 30 points. I think that 2017 is one of the best sides ever. And on top of your Penrith Panthers theory, if they do make it to that grand final, a uh, little bit of potential jam on the Clive Churchill medalist. 91, Roy Simmons scores two tries. 2003, Luke Prittis scores a Luke try. Hooker, happy Curacao, man. Keep an eye on him. Hey, he's been in a bit of trouble lately, so hopefully he can get his shit together. Proper Barney <laughs> Rubble. Bad day to be happy Curacao. Mate, let's dive oh. into uh, our dream team. And at fullback, uh, obviously a position that has been dominated by so many superstars in our game over the last 15 years. And right now, I mean, is it the golden era of fullbacks or what? I think they have the biggest influence on the game. I think the way... Um, like. Like I always use basketball. So we'll, like the Tommy Turbos, the Tedescos, they've had great reference points to sort of build off the back off. And Billy Slater has been the guy. Um, but yeah, it is like, I think they're the most valuable. They touch the ball a lot. They make the most yards. They, with the way their shape is played right now, they're usually the person that throws the last pass. So they're kind of like stacking um, their stats a little bit, like padding their stats up. Because a lot of the time, Tommy Turbo is just passing to Ruben Garrick and that's a TA, you know what I mean? That's a triassist. So it's kind of a lopsided one, but it is, bro. It is. It, they're so influential right now. And we're, we're blessed. We're blessed with so many great fullbacks. Like you go, you, you, name, name your top five fullbacks right now. Oh, I, I'd go Turbo. I would have Teddy in there. I'd have about 15 guys from the fucking Melbourne Storm at the moment. It's unreal. <laughs> they, they, they've got top five fullbacks playing five, eight and half back realistically. Yeah. I'd have Pappy in there. 
Um, I'd still have Roger in there. I know that he probably hasn't been at the same level as those other guys this year, but I would still have him up there. And I mean, we haven't mentioned guys like Gutho. I haven't mentioned KP yet. Like, it's unreal the depth in the position at the moment. Yeah, and KP is my favorite player. And we we jumped on the podcast the other week and. Obviously, when he shows glimpses like what he can do in Origin with quality players around him, it's really exciting to see. But man, like like we said, man, KP's maybe scraping into the top five, and he, he's one of the most exciting players to watch. So um, it's, it's it's one of those like I think rugby league always goes for periods. Of, like early two thousands, like fuck, who's the best center? We had Hodges, we had Gaznia, Cooper, Jamie Lyon, all these types of guys like that coming through, and I think it's just gravitated towards uh, fullbacks league right now. And it'll change all to go back to something else. I think 13s are really important right now. Um, I've referenced this conversation a lot. Like I bumped into Trent Robertson down in Bronte Beach and um, he goes, your spine is now five players. So he obviously your halves, your hooker, your fullback and your 13. And he goes, the dream is to have all five players that can pass, not just pass the ball, but pass at an elite level where they can strip people. Um, worst case scenario, one of them that can't pass and um, he talked about Kyle Flanagan and this a lot. So he goes, once Victor Radley went down, there was a lot more pressure on Kyle Flanagan. And obviously he's a half who can pass, but he can't. He wasn't able to see the plays at the right time. So it got him into a bit of trouble. He looked great when Victor Radley was there. So you're talking about your spines. You need all five that can pass. That's the dream. You start – and like you see – you see Penrith start to get in a little bit of trouble. So Dylan Brown can make a pass, but like out nine times – oh, like – out of 10 times, he may be stripping maybe 50%, 60%. That's probably not enough yep. for that level. And then once Isaiah Yell starts, like he gets a head knock and he goes off, you just see them start to like tighten up and everything like a little, looks a little bit clunky. So it's a great thing to pay attention to. So once he told me that, I was like, shit, that makes sense. I think also, mate, with that Penrith side, uh, you know, you, you look at the way, especially with all the shape that they're able to throw out the left-hand side, it's unreal. But they're one of the few teams that really even use their fullback in that shape. Like, you don't see Dylan Edwards even coming down that edge all that much. It's amazing to think. I mean, if they did have a James Tedesco or a Tom Trevojevic who played a little bit more down that left edge, I mean, it's already probably the most dangerous edge in the game. Imagine what it could be if you had, you know, a fullback, as you said, with a slightly higher passing IQ. It would be unreal. Yeah, and um, but then he, he balances it out with, like, running, like, meters and stuff like yeah. that. But if you, if you really pay attention to the way that Penrith played, and this is, like, a bit of education for people that don't understand, they've basically ripped off um, pen, uh, Cowboys back in the day. So what had happened is like Lachlan Coote and um, Michael Morgan, they were both sort of fighting for that fullback position. Robert Louis went down. So the way they changed their whole shape was J- JT would hold the middle of the field. Lachlan Coote, or Lachlan Coote was left side and then Michael Morgan was right side. So John Cartwright was the coach at the time when they won the competition. He rolled down to Manly. He brought that system down to Manly. Manly copied that. Trent Barron found out that, took it over to Penrith, and it sort of just evolved from there. But it suits their style of play because Jerome Luai is a great left-side player, um, but he can sort of cover all the way across where Dylan Edwards, I called him Dylan Brown before, I always seem to do that. Um, he can just cover that right side, and it takes away that, that deficiency as well. Roosters done it for their um, period as well when Minicello wasn't a great passing. Yep. But they used to just run that shape like a little bit different. But um, it's a great way to play, especially if you've got a Nathan Cleary there. Mate, you mentioned the Manly Seagulls there. And obviously the fullback you have uh, selected here is Tom Dravojevic. And I know that this year there's been a lot of comparisons to Hano 9, Barber 12. For me... I think he's passed him. I think oh, he's passed mate, him. Mate, I think he well and truly has. I, mean, I think for me, the thing that stands out for me with Turbo is that, you know, Hayne and Barber... 
their forwards, like they sort of had to win the ruck for them to get on the front foot. If Manly aren't winning the ruck, Turbo just goes and fucking wins it himself. He just says, give me the pill, I'll win it for us. Like, I've never seen a fullback doing what he's doing at the moment. You see your markers in a little bit of disarray, and he just appears on the A and is just ready to go. I think he's incredible at the moment. Yeah, just the physical presence as well. Yep. He's six sport, bro. He can kick off by feet. Could easily rolled into AFL. Um, he's got a really, he's a really smart kid as well. Like I think he was like, like really, really smart. So we were playing nines one time. Um, I was playing for Manly, and he was able to figure out like the points differential just off the top of his head of how much we'd need if we lost the next game. He could figure out in his head, bro. He's kind of like fucked up smart. Like that's how smart he is. So he's got this. And sometimes, sometimes I think the universe always balances it out. So a lot of the times you see super talented people, but they're kind of lazy, but they can, can kind of get past, get by. And then the other side is their guy of no talent, but he works his fucking ass off and he'll balance it out. Tommy's like, he just goes against nature. He's super talented. He's super smart. He actually cares about winning. He's fit. He's fast. Like there's no flaw in this game whatsoever. And it's fucking scary. And he actually cares about manly. He cares about winning. I've never seen someone take a loss so hard than him and his brother. Be round three against fucking West Tigers and they lose. The boys are in their sheds. It looks like they're going to cry. Like, they'll drag it into Monday, Tuesday too. Like, can't pick your fucking head up. <laughs> Mate, oh, I think this year, you know, he's obviously had a vast array of highlights that have been unreal, but the moment that stood out for me was a couple of weeks ago. I can't remember who they were playing, but Paseca, he had a bit of a lazy play in defense and, Mate, I'm not sure if you saw it, but Tom Trevojevic looked like he gave him one of the all-time sprays. And without knowing Tommy personally, I never really thought he was going to be that sort of dude. But it's like he's come of age. He realizes how good he is now and the impact he can have and the standards he's setting. It just feels like to me, football-wise, but also mentally, he's just gone to a new level. And obviously, like, um, that injury at the start of the year, um, getting publicly shamed. I think he's off the piss right now. So he's he's fully focused on trying to be the best player he can be. And he, and we you look at Jared Hayne 09 and um, Benny Barber and that like they didn't like they didn't have Cherry Evans and Foz. Yep. They had Daniel Mortimer, Jeff Robson. They had Trent Hawkinson and Josh Reynolds. All great players in their own right, but they they can't create the yep. way that BCE can create and the way that Fozzie can create as well. So that's probably the one thing that they've got on their side as well. Manly, uh, we talked about this yesterday with Scope. Like, Manly have always that type. Ivan Cleary said this to me. He goes, as long as Manly have been around, it doesn't matter if they're up by two, up by four, up by 14, up by 44. If they're 10 metres off the line, 20 metres. If the pass is on, they'll just throw it. Yeah. I think they'll park. So they've always been able to breed really natural footballers that aren't as scared to throw it and aren't as scared to be like a little bit overweight and sort of stuff. They're just, they're just pure footballers, the Manly Club. And it must be something in the woodwork because it just carries over and over and over. And that game on the weekend, we're watching a video back on it. It's hard to do video on them because like, you know, when you play Penrith, you know, when you play Melbourne, they're like, oh, we're going to get them to the left post and post and they're going to run this shape back. Manly just zing it and then yeah. play off the back of it. And then to top that off, they've got Tommy Turbo, who's got great rugby league IQ. He'll check blindside. All right, you got Dane Laurie there. Let me just give me the ball and just I'll run over the top of him. And it's he's at that point right now, 10 metres off the line, one-on-one, one-on-two. There's not too many people that can stop him. And GI sort of had that effect about him for a couple of years when he was at the Rabbitohs where you're like, fuck, he's got that about him. Yeah. Can I ask you, mate, if we would have done this six months ago before this season started, is Turbo your fullback or are you going Slater? No, nah, 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 I would have gone Slater for yeah. sure. Um, I know Tedesco's there and he, he's one of the great players. Um, 
I don't know. It's just something about these other two that sort of stick out a bit more. And and like Tommy Turbo's gone on to, oh, I mean, um, Tedesco's gone on to do some great things and win comps and Origin Series, and now he's the captain. I don't know, just something about the mother two stick out a bit more for me, and I, I can't put my finger on it. For me, mate, I've, I've always said, and you know, maybe it's getting further away from being right, but I've always said that Tedesco, for me, is the better fullback, but Turbo is just the better footballer, and you can just put him anywhere, and when he is playing fullback, he's just such a naturally good footballer that like it, it's hard to compensate for what he does. Yeah, and I think just physical presence, like I think he sticks out a bit more, like... When you're sitting in a, a Brookie over on the stand, you see him like run out that tunnel and his head's almost scraping the top. Like sometimes you don't realize how big football players are until you're standing next to him and stuff like that. So he's kind of just got this like big aura about him where when he when at the moment when he walks on the field, like you're like, oh shit. Like he's fucking he's fucking big. <laughs> and then he's fucking running like lightning and he's fit as the first first time first time I was at Manly, um, we done a two point two K time trial. He, like him and Cherry Evans basically sprinted like first day of training, November the first. Them two like sprinted the whole thing. I was like, "What the fuck's going on?" Do you know who <laughs> beat them both? Jamie Lyon. No, I, I tell you what doesn't actually shock me. What well, he just? Uh, we'll, we'll we'll talk about him later, of course. But hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Obviously, you know, talking to me here, I kind of love storylines. And when Reese Walsh sort of signed, I was like, oh, is is this our little Brent Webb moment here for the Warriors? Good-looking dude. Got a bit of footy about him. Kind of small as well. Uh, But, yeah, like watching him at Leeds as well, Brent Webb, he was mad to watch. Like him and uh, Brett Hodgson, stripper three-on-two every day of the week. And um, our coaches used to get us watching those types of players. But, fuck, they were good to watch. Mate, let's move to Jersey 13, the last player you've selected. Uh, you're going for Sam Burgess, uh, obviously a champion of our game, one of the toughest hombres of all time. And, mate, I'm having a look. I mean, as if you take out Cam Smith, the only forward you picked that's a kangaroo is Petro Sevenasiba. You've got Morley, Burgess, two poms. You've got an all-Kiwi back row, a very good mixture. And Sam Burgess, I mean, <laughs> those few years that he was in the NRL, 2014 is obviously the highlight. What he did at that grand final night going up against James Graham, uh, you know, and I hear them talk about, you know, like in my mind, it was no fluke that these two ran into each other on the first play, right? Yeah, yeah, and no, no way in the world. But like you said, you know how you would have picked Freddie as your 13. Yeah. A team full of Burgess would probably be all right as well. Um, I don't know how well he kicks, but he probably can do that as well. <coughs> like before, like he's sort of got that that X factor about him. Like when, when South used to run on the field, it's like, fuck, where's GI? Then, oh, fuck, there's Sam Burgess right behind him. So, like there was no flaw in his game. He could he could do that tough run. He could hang out wide and run a line for you. He could ball play. Um, he was a leader. He was an enforcer. Uh, I think when he's behind the line and he's talking, I think people are listening. I think that's really important. Um, he was just a guy, bro. I, like I loved everything about him. And people always go Tomalolo Burgess. I was like, I'll pick Burgess every day yeah. of the week. You know what yeah. I mean? Like he'll come out the line and put a shot in you. Where Tomalolo's probably got one of the best carries we've ever seen. Um, but I think just more well like more well-rounded passionate but i don't know 
Man, I, I still remember the first time I saw Sam Burgess. You know, it was when Blue you, you yeah, man, when you used to get up at the crack of dawn and watch those games over there in the mud and in the shit, and they, they it was a line dropout, and Moy Moy returned it, and this fucking eighteen year old just leveled him, and that was when Moy Moy, like he was, he was one of the peak front rowers in our game. No, no one was putting him on his back, let alone whacking him. Mm, and at 18, man, and like yeah. he's he's the same age as me, 88. I remember just I was thinking I was in, still in high school. I was going, but what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> you, can't, you can't be doing that so yeah I don't know he's had a really special career and um, yeah I don't know I've always loved watching him play and obviously when he went to Union coming straight back and just straight in it's just like the hard thing is like RTS obviously finishing football now the one thing about rugby league and those types of guys they never get to experience the origin arena yeah. and that's why we, we pay homage to all these other guys like Johns in 2005 when he come back in the second game and Alfie Langer 01 and Smith and um, Lockyer, the try that started the eight-year run, like they never get to experience these moments, which, which is, um, which, which is fair. Like, I'm not going to go in and bat for the for like why these guys should play, but just would love to see the Burgess in, in a New South Wales jersey, wouldn't you? Oh, mate, the reality is like when we look back at legends, like all the guys we've spoken about here, they have moments that they own. I mean, we, we mentioned Greg Inglis. A lot of the big moments, the, the reason why everyone picks him at centre in their best teams is because of what he did in Origin. You look at what Freddie achieved in Origin. Lockie, 2006, scoop in the intercept. Joey, 05 in Origin. I mean, a state of Origin allows guys to own the biggest stages and the biggest moments that people never forget. A lot of these guys don't get that opportunity, as you mentioned. Mate, uh, Sam Burgess, for me, one of my favourite stories, we, we had Jackson Hastings on the podcast last year. He's obviously returned to the NRL next year, which is going to be exciting. Going Tigers? He's going Tigers. Tigers, yeah, man. So it's going to be interesting whether he plays 13, 7, if Brooksy maybe goes. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But uh, he said that when he made his first grade debut, he was coming off the pine for the Chooks. They were playing South Sydney. And he said he got up, he got his number, he was all excited, he was emotional. And Sam Burgess subbed off as he was getting ready to go on. And Burgess mm. walked past him and stood next to him and goes, you're in for a tough fucking night. <laughs> and sat down and Jack Hurst said he almost dropped his fucking number. Yeah, get me back on the bench, no. coach, please. <laughs> get me back in the stands. No, thank you. Mate, I, I, had this, I had this random theory one time and it was just a fucking throwaway thought. But um, obviously, Dally M was pretty well known for, like when New Zealand went over to England and he was the one Australian that got to play. Yep. Imagine, imagine if um, Origin had a Dally M card. So... Each origin, you've got one guy who's not Australian that can slot in. If you uh, were uh, if you were Paul Green this year, who would you have chosen? Tom Malolo. Straight away, yeah? Straight away. He's my guy. He's won me a comp. Um, we can't get any fucking go forward. <laughs> Tom is my guy. Back in when, when Queensland were firing, like, do you pick up a Jared Warrior Hardgraves or do you pick up a Sam Burgess or do you pick up um, a Roger Tuavasa Sheck to play like wing? Like, I don't think it takes away from the game, but Man, one one Dally M card, and we're going to pay homage to one of the greatest players to ever do it. I think that'd be a great way to do it. It's like the uh, draw four in Uno, eh? Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Slap it down and, and do. And this is very much WWE wrestling. Like, imagine if you didn't know who the player was going to be, <laughs> and they just walk out with the smoke and everything and be gone. Yeah. And then you play the national anthem, and they're like, "Who's our Dally M card going to be?" And you go, "Ten, no, you got the whole stadium, bro." And then big fucking Sammy Burgess walks through with a bit of smoke and a bit of Goldberg fucking. I don't know, very, very theatrical, but fuck it'd be hypey. Oh, mate, you've just offended the traditionalists more than you'll ever know, haven't you? Uh, they already hate me anyway, so it's a Buzz good... just fell off his chair. <laughs> mate, tell me, obviously, this 13, an unreal 13. For me, for you, who was the hardest player to leave out? If we if we take out the Freddie and Lockie argument, who was the next hardest player to leave out for you? 
Uh, Jonathan Thurston. Yeah. I think for me, I'm very biased towards halves. Obviously, I played the position, so I think it's the best position in the world. Um, but yeah, just what he was able to do, man, he was special. And obviously, when you measure up all his stats and stuff next to Joey and stuff like that, it's pretty interesting. Just love the way he played the game. wasn't too big. Um, one of my coaches used to say, his, you know, where he was worth a, where he's worth of weight. He's worth his weight in gold and tackle five. When whenever someone was getting a line break or he was always there, he was always in the screen. He was always trying to stop tries. Him and Matty Bond had a great read on the game. Um, whenever people falling over the line, he was there somewhere. So I really love that competitive spirit about him. And uh, yeah, I think he was mine. Who's yours? To be honest with you, I, I actually just forgot what I asked you. <laughs> what was the question? Sorry? Who was the hardest to leave oh, out? Uh, the hardest for me, I think Thurston, I agree. He would be right up there. Um, I always really loved Ricky Stewart as a halfback as well. I know that you couldn't pick him over Joey, but I loved the way that he went about his footy. Um, I loved Mal Meninga as well. I think Mal, very hard to leave out. I prefer the way that Jamie Lyon played. I love the creativity and the sort of old school style that he had, but I really, I love the way that Mal Meninga used to play his footy. And, you know, you obviously mentioned before, I mean, and I had him on my podcast, he spoke about it, MG. Like, I, I cannot imagine MG standing across from anyone going, fuck, he looks fearsome. But to see Mal and to get that sort of reaction, I think it's unreal. Um, another guy that I always really liked. Yeah. If you if you went Mal Meninga prime versus prime GI, how does that, how does that play out in your mind? Honestly, um, it's probably controversial, but I would go Mal. I just think the presence that he had and, you know, obviously GI had that as well, but I just think that if you were to put Mal into the modern game under the modern sports science, the modern conditions, the modern rules, mate, I just think he would be unbelievable. So, some of those old tapes you see of Mal where, you know, and realistically, if Mal played now, is he a centre or is he a back rower? Where, where, where do you think he would play? Is he Tom Malolo? Is he? Is that how you see him? Uh, he's, like, he's like David Fafita. If David Fafita was consistent for 80 minutes every fucking week, like, it's just, it's... Mal, he just never missed a contest. And as I said, Ricky Stewart, there was a documentary that came out on him the other night and he he put it perfectly with Mal. He said, if Mal Meninga is in my team, as long as he steps across the white line, I don't care how he plays. He can play the worst game of his life. doesn't matter. We're going to win because we've got the confidence of having Mal in our team. I mm. mean, from one of the best halfbacks we've ever seen, is there a greater compliment? Yeah, hundred so, something in that forearm guard, I think. Yeah. Oh, mate, what about that? <laughs> it's like carrying a fridge on his arm. Uh, him, Stacey Jones, Ruben Wiki, fuck, dangerous that. Yeah, Ricky Stewart. I remember Timmy Smith. We were talking about him when, obviously, they were coaching at when he was coaching at Para. Fuck, he's reckon he could still zing a ball pretty far away. Eh? Like oh. he's be like, Timmy, get out, get out. And he's like standing twenty away. He goes, no, nah, fucking keep going. <laughs> well, I can only imagine as well, sticky. Like obviously, when he's passing a ball now. Mate, it must be like being in cruise control with these new footballs. He was throwing around a fucking a wet brick when he was playing football and still throwing it 20, 30 metres. His kicking game was... I still think it's the best long kicking game we've ever seen. And but he used um, to torpy all of them. Mate, he used to torpy with a fucking leather ball. Like, it, it, like it's imagine him if you put him in the modern game with these balls. Like, these balls are essentially designed to kick and pass nowadays, essentially. They're made on a computer... As I said, mate, Ricky used used to kick around a wet brick into corners and beat teams. It was unbelievable. Yeah, uh, yeah, I remember. Like, obviously, I watched the game, but it's such a different time back then, eh? Like, you see some of the tries they get rolled through. And, like, I'm, I'm a, little, a little biased towards the future. <laughs> I'm like, surely, like a Melbourne Storm would be able to stop these boys, or you, mate, can, I, you can have these hypothetical arguments forever, couldn't you? Oh, for sure. And like, I mean, like with all due respect to all the immortals we had, I mean, if you take if you take these modern guys back seventy years. 
mate, it's 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 kids in a schoolyard essentially. Like the game has just changed so much that it is hard to. I like compare. this around just palming off fatty. I got yeah. I can see fatty in your background. <laughs> just like fatty Vorden ain't stopping GI. I'll nah. fucking tell you that right now. No, but. I mean, the advantage Paul Vorton had is that he was he was playing brickies and plumbers. Essentially, you know, you put it, it's a changing <laughs> yeah, of that guard of the guys that you're taking on now. And, and look, you, you can make that argument for Matt Mal Meninga, obviously. Um, but yeah, I, I would have him slightly. I would probably put him to to get the better of GI. But as I said, I, geez, you, you're you're really picking <laughs> finite things between the two, aren't you? Just two champion players. Yeah, very different builds as well. So, yeah, I'd take GI. Where does uh, where does Latrell finish in ten years' time? Um, wherever he wants to finish. <laughs> uh, are, are we are we having him, are we throwing him into that three way argument in ten years' time? Uh, yeah, it depends. He's got to jag a couple of comps himself. So I reckon if he gets two, I reckon you, you can't deny deny him. You know, and he's going he's going to roll into a New South Wales side very much like GI rolled into a Queensland side. They're probably going to win. Nine out of the next ten. Eight eight out of the next ten anyway. So um Fuck you reckon? Yeah. Fuck, I don't know, man. I reckon New South Wales we always get ahead of ourselves. We always oh we got a better team than them, we'll be fine. Mate, you've uh, won four out of the last five. You only need to win like another four. Yeah. <laughs> eight, eight Fair. But mate, once that Queensland team, once they get their whole team on the park, I mean, once you put KP back in, once you put Harry Grant back in, if they can get their whole team on the park yeah. the entire series, I yeah, and I, and, I, and I think right now, I know we're all blowing up about um, about the blowouts and the rules and everything at the moment, blah, blah, blah. For me, I just think it really is a transition period. I mean, fuck, is it any shock to you that the teams that aren't getting blown out every week are the teams that are well coached? I mean, we brought these rules in last year. Everyone absolutely loved them. Then all of a sudden, you gave the best coaches in the game four months to do tape to work out how they're going to take advantage of them. And shock me, the best teams are up the top again. Uh, there's an old saying: "Cream always rises to the top," oh. and they they could you could change half the rules tomorrow, and I'll, I'll give you a fair indication of who's going to be at the top of the table this time next year. Mate, you already yeah. know who's going to be on top of the table yeah. next year. It doesn't yeah. mean you can like you you could change the shape of the ball. You know who's going to be on top. Yeah, they'll figure it out, and they always do. Yeah. Like I said, cream always rises, and man, what you. But you need you need great organisation structure as well. So you need great admin, great coaching, great players, and um, those those Melbournes, the Roosters, um, all those teams teams always seem to be up there because they've got that nice little flow. And mate, it's a copycat league. Over the next year, you'll have the the teams that are at the bottom right now that, that can't work out their ass from their head that are doing the same thing as Melbourne. But in twelve months' time, Melbourne will be doing something different. They would have found the next edge to take advantage of what they were doing twelve months ago. It's it, it's been the same sort of phase and transition over the last 15 years in rugby league. Yeah, but you can't you can't copycat talent, can you? Yep. So at the end of the day, it's a superstar league. And when the game's on the line, there's, there's two types of people. There's people that don't want the ball and there's people that do want the ball. And those guys who do want the ball are usually the ones that are paid the most and they, they're the ones that can execute. So when the game's on the line, man, that's why these guys get paid millions of dollars because fucking they don't feel their pressure. They want the pressure. They see pressure as a privilege, so... Man, and that's always that's always going to be the case. Whenever there's a great player, there's always going to be a team that rises up, no matter what sport you play. You look at tennis, there's always Rafael Nadal, and then fucking, you know, I mean, there's always someone Federer. There's always someone that's going to rise to the challenge. Penrith are flying, Melbourne are going to rise. Melbourne are flying, someone else is going to rise. Whenever you look at sports, there's always someone that's going to be balanced them out. But the one thing that's going to separate them is talent. Without a doubt, mate. And I, I can I ask you this, but before I let you go, you've obviously got at the moment the three teams at the top. Can I ask you if the Roosters had their entire squad 
Are they are they the fourth best team? Would you have them on top of Manly, on top of Penrith? Are they equal with the Melbourne Storm? Where would you have the, those Roosters boys if they had their entire squad? Because they're not. I mean, they're not fucking that far off at the moment. Missing, I'm going to say probably three million dollars worth of talent and about a thousand games of first grade. Yeah, um, yeah, they're right up there. Obviously, I think they're just a little bit tired, bro. Like yep. everyone gets up to play the Roosters, and a lot of them are getting head knocks right now. So you got to think like a lot of the times when you play football, you're like. Oh, we'll play Titans and then we've got the Roosters next week. This is our big test. So over the last three, four years, they've been the big test where everyone's just like, and then more collisions, faster games. You're playing in origin. A lot of head knocks start to come, but they're right up there, bro. They're, like I said, great teams. Like Cream always rises and talent. They're just missing a bit of talent. You've got great admin, great coaching. You look at your players, you just, like you said, you're missing $3 million worth of talent. And in this competition, it matters. Mate, uh, in your dream team, does Joey uh, get to wear the C next to his name? Nah, I got Cam Smith. Um, just a bit more steady. I had Thurston on one of my benches as well, just in case Joey wanted to have a big one the night before. We could just swap him in and out. So I was starting to think along these lines as well as an actual coach. Now I think Cameron Smith. Um, obviously, Joey's got the old old. He'd he'd, he'd run the team. Um, you know the old saying: you don't need to see next to your name to be like a leader. He'd be that guy for me. Yeah. But yeah, it was partial to a blow up with the old mouth guard coming out. You know. So I just want a nice, calm leader, and I think Smithy's the guy. As you said, mate, obviously Cam Smith, I think he'd be the skipper in the first half and the second half. In the third half, though, Joey Johns would definitely take over. They'd do some damage off the field, these two halves, wouldn't they, Joey and Freddie? Yeah, 100%. Just got to let them do their thing and can't really tell those players what to do. They're great for a reason, and obviously that carries on outside the field as well. So a little bit different, and that's what makes them great. Ice, mate, I really appreciate your time once again. Second time you've come on, and hopefully I'm trying to organise with Jackson. We can have you on before the finals to uh, give a little preview there. Always appreciate your time and uh, everything you've sort of done for me without even probably realising it, uh, just following your content and everything every day. Thoroughly appreciate your time, brother. Thanks, bro. Get me on any time you want, so appreciate you. See you later. Thanks, mate. It's about a week ago we had a deep dive on the Parramatta Eels and we looked at the big questions that they faced heading into the final series of 2021 and we sort of said there's a really good chance that this team could miss the top four. It is terrible timing with Mitch Moses being out and their draw is unbelievable. Now this was last Thursday, the Friday night I think it was, they played the the Canberra Raiders and of course Canberra Raiders have just found some form, a really gritty game that you know what, uh, to Parramatta's credit I think they probably do win that one with Mitch to be honest with you but he wasn't there and they didn't get the job done. Yeah, and the Canberra Raiders were still missing a number of troops themselves as well. So it's not like you can say, oh, because Mitch Moses wasn't there, that's why they lost. I mean, Canberra Raiders missing a heap of guys as well. Canberra going like a busted asshole as well. Let's be perfectly honest here. So that was a game that Parramatta really had to win. And then we had last night. And I said before the game last night, this is a critical game for their season because if they win this one, they will be clear of the Roosters by two wins. If they lose, they'll be back to smack even with them with their horrible draw still to come. And Parramatta... Very disappointing last night. And I'll tell you what stood out for me. What stood out for me was that they got beat by 28 points. You know, we can all read a scoreboard. That's all good and well. But the Roosters didn't even play that well. The Roosters were pretty fucking average in that first half. There was drop ball left, right, and center. That, that, that game felt like a trial game to me. It was like the games that you're watching in early February where it's at a suburban ground. you got the weird camera angles. The, <laughs> it's a little bit of a different view. Um, the brightness of it's a little bit off. And there was just drop ball left, right, and center. And I, I couldn't believe how Parramatta didn't respond to constant challenges. I just, it was crazy. There was a couple of times where they were just split square up the middle by scoots and really simple stuff 
from the Sydney Roosters. And as soon as they got him on the back foot, it was over. There's a there's a try that Sammy Walker scored, which is an unreal try. But, fuck, can you go back 20 seconds before that? Watch the run by Egan Butcher. Now, this is the kid that we've been talking about for a little while. We, we think he's going to be an absolute star. He's obviously the younger brother of Nat, who's a premiership winner and a great player. I think Egan's going to be a much better player. I think he's going to be a guy the Roosters are going to build around for a couple of years. Watch the run that Egan takes and how quickly his play the ball is. He enters the contact with about three or four guys on him. He comes out with, I believe it's only Reed Marnie on top of him. He gets to elbows and knees. He gets to quick play the ball. When he plays the ball, have a look at the Parramatta defensive line. No one is going up. They are all on the back foot and half of them are facing the wrong way and the Roosters just go, beautiful, we've got him here. That try should go to Egan Butcher. That was an unreal play by him. Go and watch it again and just have a look at the impact that he has on that run and how it just disrupts the entire line. And then Sam Walker, he just goes into touch football instinct mode. He knows he's got guys on the back foot. It's exactly where you want teams. Unreal footy there. But Parramatta, I just, I'm so disappointed with what I saw last night. I And you know, I can't say I'm surprised. I, I did say to you guys, I'd take the Roosters in this one. I didn't think they'd win by this much. I thought $2.20 was great value for the Chooks though. If you would have said to me they'll win by 20 plus, I probably would have said I doubt it. I think it'll be a little bit closer. But very disappointing from the Parramatta Eels. And as I said, the Roosters weren't great. They dropped balls left, right, and center. Drew Hutchinson, put, you know, he, he almost put one into the 15th row of the grandstand at one point. Like, there was a heap of moments that Parramatta could have got back into this game, and they just weren't able to drag themselves back into the context. They just... And they kept getting themselves into decent positions as well, which is what annoyed me even more. There was a couple of times where Dylan Brown almost scored. There was a couple of plays that Nathan Brown had where he almost laid on tries. They just couldn't put the icing on the cake. It was unbelievable. And for me, when I look at Parramatta and I compare them to these other sides in the competition, they are in serious Barney rubble, yeah? Yes, they'll be better than the 14 or the 12 teams below them. No doubt about that. I'd never argue that, yeah? They're a much better side than those teams. But, mate, when you look at those top teams and you compare what they're doing compared to what Parramatta's doing at the moment, I, I get it. They're missing their halfback. I understand that. But I'm sorry, Mitch Moses, he's not a Nathan Cleary. He's not a Cam Munster. He's not a Tom Trebojevic. He's not a 20-point player. You know, he's a 6-12 to point player. He's a bit more of a stability sort of player for this team. They still had a lot of their stars and a lot of their guns out there, and they just weren't able to get the job done. And when I have a look at the ladder now, I mean, right now the Paramount Eagles, they hold on to fourth place, which is all good and well. The Roosters are on the same amount of points, and they're four and against. There's only 30 points in it. You look at the Manly Seagulls. They're two wins below these guys. I'm tipping they're going to have a win over the Sharks this week. That'll put them one win behind the Roosters and the Eels. Mate, I reckon there's a really good chance here that Parramatta could finish six, realistically. They're not going to fall as low as seventh. The Cronulla Sharks, they're sitting on 18 points. There's a huge gap there. But, mate, the Parramatta Eels, I reckon there's a really good chance they drop out of this top four and they could finish as low as six. When you have a look at their run over the next few weeks, it is brutal. Obviously, they played the Canberra Raiders two weeks ago who just found some form. Terrible timing to play the Raiders. They played the Roosters this week. I mean, if you had to pick, you know, a team in the NRL you don't want to play, you'd have the first four, and then it would be the Sydney Roosters. They've copped them next week. I mean, this side, they take on the South Sydney Rabbitohs, team that is, another team that is fit and firing at the moment, doing unbelievable things. The week after that, they take on the Manly Seagulls and Tom Travojevic. I mean, it's not getting any easier for this side. The week after that, they play the Cowboys. That's a little reprieve, but I'm sorry, is anyone, 
Is anyone writing that off as a win for the Parramatta Eels? Oh, I'm certainly not. Yes, you'll have Mitch Moses back, but the Cowboys, I mean, they'll probably have Val Holmes back. They went head-to-head with the Melbourne Storm the other night. They lost by six or four points, whatever it was. So let's say they get a win against the North Queensland Cowboys. I mean, I reckon that might keep them in fourth. It'll probably keep them in fifth, realistically. Mate, the last two weeks, they play the Melbourne Storm and the Penrith Panthers. Now, with a bit of luck, hopefully falling the Parramatta Eels' way, potentially the minor premiership might be wrapped up. They might get a few guys that have rests from the Melbourne Storm, and potentially they might get a few guys that have rests from the Penrith Panthers as well. We obviously know that's a big fear for a lot of Supercoach players. So, this Parramatta Eels run is insane. It is fucking batshit crazy. And if they, if they couldn't compete with the Chooks last night, I mean, what odds do we give them? to knock over South Sydney, the Manly Seagulls, the Melbourne Storm, the Penrith Panthers over the next few weeks, I honestly think they finish sixth. I really do. They're going to need... They are going to really need a lot of guys to be rested from the Melbourne Storm and the Penrith Panthers in the back end to have any chance of finishing in the top four, I think. Um, it is it is going to be a t- tough, tough gig for this team moving forward. I, I feel sorry for them. I do, but... And you know what? It's more of a it's more of a sign of the times of how good the top teams are than probably how poor Parramatta is. They weren't great last night. I understand that. Very, very disappointing game. I'm not really trying to kick the shit out of the Parramatta Eels here. Yeah, I mean, there's probably 13 teams that are heaps, heaps worse than them in the NRL. No doubt about it. But, I mean, this is a team that they've got a squad that, you know, on paper, they can win a premiership. Now, I remember, I remember listening to everyone at the start of the year telling me that they were the favourites. They were going to win the comp. And I was just sitting there going, What? What are you talking about? Like, it's a good team on paper, yeah, but, my God, there's so much more that goes into winning comp than being good on paper, and the Melbourne Storm have shown that for years. I feel very sorry for Parramatta Eels fans. I think you're in for a very, very tough gig, and then all of a sudden, you know, off the back of playing, like, you, you as I said, you're going to play the Roosters, the Rabbitohs, the Manly Seagulls, the Cowboys, the Melbourne Storm, the Panthers. The Parramatta Eels are essentially going to play two months of finals footy before finals footy starts, I think it's more than likely they probably get slapped around a little bit. It's already started on, on the wrong foot already. I mean, they are going to be exhausted by the time they get to finals. But dare I say, if I had to make a prediction, I wouldn't be shocked if these guys go out in straight sets. It might not even be straight sets. It might be straight set. Realistically, if, if they finish sixth, they're only going to have one, one bite of the cherry, one loss in their out. Their advantage is that all the teams below them, as I said, are going like a busted. They're definitely a better team than... Every team below Manly. Yeah, I'm not arguing that. There's no question there for me. I think they are a better team than all the teams below Manly. But you get to finals footy, and these other teams are on a high of making out the eight, and the Parramatta Eels are disappointed. They finished sixth. They've come off two months of getting battered and bruised by the best teams in the competition, having their pants pulled down. Mate, morale's going to be high for these other teams. And the other teams are going to be confident. They're going to be very confident. They're going to know that Parramatta Eels, they are exhausted. Now, they have some resilient bastards in that team, no doubt about it, especially in that forward pack. You know, your Junior Paulos, your Campbell Gillards, your Nathan Browns, your Reed Marnies, these sort of guys, Isaiah Papali as well. So I have no doubt they will put up a fight in finals. But, mate, it is hard enough to win a final series at the best of times, let alone when you have to play a heap of finals footy before you get to finals footy and everyone is questioning you, everyone is giving you shit. I'm in a couple of, like, fan forum pages for every team just to get a vibe of how, you know, all the fans are feeling and how they're feeling about certain players, mate. The Parramatta Eels ones at the moment, it is a shit fight. It is a complete and utter shit fight. The stuff that they are saying about their team on there is unbelievable. And I've used the example a few times. I remember when, when Brad Arthur pl- played a few months ago, made his debut, he scored a try. He didn't play that well. He really didn't play that well, but he scored a try. 
and everyone raved about him. Oh, how good's Brad Arthur? He's uh, how good's Jacob Arthur? He's the future. I always get it confused. I apologise for that, guys. Jacob Arthur's the future. He does this. He does that. Blah blah blah. Mate, you should see the hate that Jacob Arthur's getting on these Parramatta Eels forums at the moment. It is unbelievable. Is he playing great? No, I know he's not. But he's a young kid. He's, he's, what is he, 18, 19 years old? He's a young fella trying to find his way. Without Mitch Moses, this team would be shambles whoever you put in the seven. A lot of people are calling for Will Smith. Yeah, I think Will Smith would probably do a slightly better job, but he's not a seven. He's not going to answer your questions. You've seen Will Smith in a heap of finals games, and you all bagged him then as well. I mean, I just, oh, I think that you've got to wait for Mitch to come back. Then you can have a real sh- crack at this. But I still think even with Mitch, you're nowhere near the levels of the Manly Seagulls, the Melbourne Storm, the Penrith Panthers. And unfortunately, you have to play those three teams in the last four weeks, which is absolutely brutal. And in the midst of that, you've got the Cowboys. Do I think Parramatta are a better team than the Cowboys? Yes, 100%. There is no doubt about that in my mind. But the Cowboys on their day can beat anyone. They can show up and beat anyone. They can also show up and get beat by 40 by anyone. But that makes it hard to prepare for. And they're going to look at this Parramatta Eels game and look at their draw in the midst of it and go, they're going to be gassed. We can win this game. This is a game that we can really get up for. I reckon round 23, as I said, that'll be about when Val Holmes returns. So a big plus there for the Cowboys. It's going to be very, very interesting moving forward for the Parramatta Eels. For me, I think I'm ruling them out of a top four finish. I don't think they can do it. The Manly Seagulls and the Sydney Roosters, their draw is nowhere near as bad as this Parramatta Eels side. They also hang in contests. So I think one of those two teams will finish fourth. I think the Parramatta Eels, they will drop as low as six, which is going to be devastating for them. It means that they're going to have to play seventh place in the week one of the finals. And I'll tell you what, <laughs> there's a really good chance that that could be the Canberra Raiders. I reckon there's a really good hope that could end up being the Canberra Raiders. They're on 18 points now. As of the Cronulla Sharks, are on 18 points. Without Sean Johnson, the Dragons are on 18 points as well. I would almost lock in that the Canberra Raiders are going to play the Parramatta Eels week one. And fuck me, you do not want to be playing the Canberra Raiders in the finals. They are a tough and gritty team. They've already beaten you once this year. There's going to be head noise surrounding that. This is going to be a tough gig. They're going to play all these finals footy and essentially their game against the Canberra Raiders last week, that was a finals footy game. Then they're going to come into the week one of finals and I think they're going to play the worst team that they could possibly play out of the bottom 10 teams, the Canberra Raiders. This is going to be a very tough gig for them moving forward. I think they're one of the more interesting teams to watch. I hope they don't completely implode, and I hope the Parramatta fans start to get around their team a little bit more because what's going on at the moment in those in those fan forums, I cannot cop. I think it is unbelievable. I even saw someone bagging Dylan Brown like, fucking hell. Dylan Brown's 24 years old, playing without his halfback. He's trying his heart out the last two weeks. I would say he's been one of your better players the last two weeks. Very, very disappointing to see from Parramatta fans. I know you're frustrated. I get it. Stand by your team, yeah? I, I don't know how it's going to improve. I've said for a while, and you all push back on me, that they're a winner short from being a real footy side. I think that's yeah, that's becoming more and more evident the further we get into this season. They've drifted out to $19 to win this premiership. I think they were about 13 last night. The Roosters into $12, as are the Manly Seagulls into 12 I'm putting the red Sharpie through the Parramatta Eels. I already had it through them, but I think last night they showed us they cannot win this competition. And for me, they showed me last night that they will not be a top-four team in 2021. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.